Well, good morning, and Happy New Year. If you've got your Bibles right there with you, turn to Ephesians chapter 2. I don't want to disappoint uh, those of you who were maybe expecting 2, 1 through 3 today. I, I intend to just do a flyover of 2, 1 through 10, and then we'll go back and we'll do 1 through 3 and 4 through 7 and 8 through 10. So there's, there's more weeks to follow in this passage. We're, we're not just done this morning. But turning your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 2, we'll be looking at verses 1 through 10 in Ephesians chapter 2. Well, good morning to you. Happy New Year to you. It's, it's just a joy to continue to march in relationship with those God continues to stir their hearts to be here at Community Bible Church. I, I see there's just much need for change in all of our lives, and, and that's what we want. We want change, and a lot of us have come here for change, for the purpose of change. 2021 is just begging for change, right? Uh, with this new year comes all this hope for change. You know, can the masks go away and the social distancing in and all these different pieces? Can, can coronavirus just leave? There's a new season, right? We want a new season. Well, for you personally, you know that there's a, a blank slate set for you. It feels like you get to 2021 and you go, wow, I can, I can turn over a new leaf in life. There's a, there's a new place for me to go. Transformation can be had in my life. And you know that you need that. You know that you need change. You know that you have sin that resides on you that needs to flee. And so it becomes a good marker in our lives, 2021, as the new year comes to make these resolutions. Unquestionably, many of you have started reading Genesis 1 again in your new Bible reading plan. That's a resolution that many make. And I applaud that. That's fantastic. And many of you probably already jumped into a new fitness routine. And when you got out of the car this morning, your thighs hurt as you stepped up and out because they just hadn't been worked that well and for, for a while. Maybe you started a new plyometrics workout on Saturday morning. Well, I'm with you in this. I'm, I'm with you for all of these goals, all of this growth, all this change. We all need these pieces. It's a time of year for resolutions. Resolutions to end our addictions to sugar and for many of you to end your addiction to coffee. Resolutions to end gluttony, sloth, Financial distress, fixation on social media drama. And I would question you in the midst of your resolutions and this great need for change that we all have, are you planning to change yourself in your own strength? That's really the question. Are you relying on your fortitude, integrity, the force of your own will to bring about change in your life? Unless you are planning on your own perfection, what part of your plan includes God's grace? Do you agree that God's grace is the greatest agent of transformation and change known to mankind? Do you know why? Well, there's two reasons. The, the first reason is that God's grace extinguishes your desire to continue sinning. Second, and moreover, God's grace energizes your desire to do righteousness. Only God's grace attacks the bad and empowers the good. Great change requires that both of these two things happen. Don't believe for a second that your own strength will decrease your sin and increase your righteousness. I warn you now, pray the grace of God to be the strength of your 2021 New Year's resolutions. All change and transformation of any great value at all depends on God's great grace. How can we know this? Well, we can argue from the greater to the lesser. The lesser change are the changes that you want to see happen in your life in 2021. The greater change is the change that God makes 
when he applies salvation to your life. The greatest transformation known to men on earth is salvation, which is entirely a work of God's grace. We argue then from the greater to the lesser. You want to see small changes in your life, look back to the biggest change. It was the grace of God that made that happen. So too will it be with your smaller ones. Allow me to illustrate, illustrate for you the size of the change that is possible through the grace of God. Do you know the testimony and the salvation story of a woman named Rosaria Butterfield? Do you know her story? Rosaria was a tenured professor at Syracuse University where she taught English and women's studies. She describes herself as a, at that time, a radical feminist, a flaming liberal leftist lesbian who cared about moral just, mor morality, justice, compassion, and her worldview was defined by these men, Sigmund Freud, Karl Marx, and Charles Darwin. And I would caution you, be careful of the friends that you hold and the influences that you allow in your life. You can imagine what her leftist worldview and these influences caused her to think about Christianity. Let me quote her for you. She says this. She says, the word Jesus stuck in my throat like an elephant tusk. No matter how hard I choked, I couldn't hack it out. Those who professed the name commanded my pity and wrath. Stupid, pointless, menacing. That's what I thought of the Christians and their little G, God, Jesus. Until one day, God's grace came to her life. He stirred a desire in her heart to read the Bible. She prayed and she questioned, did I really want to understand homosexuality from God's point of view or did I just want to argue with him? Am I a lesbian or has all of this been a case of mistaken identity? If Jesus could split the world asunder, divide marrow from soul, could he not make my true identity prevail? She questions, who am I? Who will God have me to be? God answered her questions, calling her out of her leftist ideology, her radical feminism, calling her out of homosexuality. God chose that Rosaria would become a wife to a reformed Presbyterian pastor, a homeschooling mother, an author, and a speaker who proclaimed the excellencies of God and his grace and his salvation, who loves the church, who loves her family, and who still sinfully enjoys coffee. God's grace transformed Rosaria Butterfield. Headed to hell in her rebellion of God, she was saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Our time this morning needs to be focused on the transformation power of God's grace. That's a good way to kick off 2021. Our best 2021 start will come from glorying in God's grace, the grace God gives in salvation. So where do we find the transformation power of God's grace? You're there. Ephesians 2, verses 1 through 10. I've titled this message, Man's View of Salvation. And I asked the question at the start of this message, Man's View of Salvation. I asked the question, what is man's view of salvation? And the word that you need to resound back to me with is, Pastor Oliver, grace. Man's view of salvation is all grace, all the time, all over. That's the right answer. Paul presents God's grace and salvation in Ephesians 2. How does Paul show us God's grace and salvation? Paul shows us God's grace and salvation by presenting three portraits of grace 
which give all glory to God for his salvation of men. That's what I want you to see from the text today. Three portraits of grace which give all glory to God for his salvation of men. We need to see these and treasure these three portraits. The first portrait is the depth of grace. The second portrait is the height of grace. And the third portrait is the brilliance of grace. The depth, the height, and the brilliance of grace. That'll be our outline for this morning. As we read the text, let's look for these three portraits of God's grace that we may know and treasure God's salvation, the salvation that brings incredible transformation and change. You want transformation and change, don't you? You need to know the grace of God. Ephesians 2, verses 1 through 10, read with me now. Paul says to you, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them we too all formerly lived in the lust of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. But God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ, so that in the ages to come he might show the surpassing riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we would walk in them. Here at Community Bible Church, we've been studying Ephesians since October. We're looking forward to Ephesians for the better part of all of 2021. We've been extremely blessed as we go through chapter 1, as Paul shares in chapter 1, God's view of salvation. It is God who elected us for salvation from eternity past. Before creation, he planned to adopt and to redeem us through the blood of Jesus Christ, his son. We are those who have been lavished in salvation, lavished with a glorious inheritance in the saints and sealed in the power of the Holy Spirit. Chapter 1 doesn't end until Paul prays to God to allow the Ephesians greater knowledge of God's power in all of these areas. God's power to call men to salvation, to give them an inheritance, and that they would know the power, the supreme power of God shown in the resurrection and ascension of Jesus Christ to the Father's right hand. And being at the Father's right hand, he has authority over everything, and authority was given him over the church. And then you realize we are his body. He is our head, and in this is the power of God that you must know. And in Paul's mind, one awesome story of the power of God's resurrection coming out of chapter 1 is perfectly complemented by a resurrection story number 2, only seen in God's grace this time as God saves men in chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. Chapter 1 of Ephesians, Jesus is resurrected physically, showing God's power. Chapter 2, men are resurrected spiritually, showing God's grace. Paul intends to paint God's grace firmly, deeply, even tattooing it 
on the canvas of your mind. Perhaps in chapter 1 you didn't see God's grace because you were all consumed with the power of God. And it's there. Okay, that's fine. Paul won't let you miss grace, though. He's not going to let you miss grace. He doubles down on the grace of God in Ephesians 2, 1 through 10. He's going to define God's grace in terms of man's salvation. And he paints three portraits of grace, beginning with portrait of grace number one in your notes, the depth of grace. Let's look at Paul's portrait number one of grace, the depth of grace. How deep does grace go? A proper picture of God's grace requires contrast. We need to see it in contrast. And so from the heights of heaven, where we were at the end of chapter 1, discussing the resurrection of Christ, seated at the right hand of God, the head over the church, Paul comes crashing back down to reality on earth, presenting the disgusting depths of man's total depravity. The portrait of the depth of grace is a portrait of sinful mankind. The portrait of the depth of grace is a portrait of sinful mankind. Charles Spurgeon says, There does not live beneath the canopies of heaven any man whose sense of sin is as deep as the sin really is. He goes on to say, When young folks tell me how terribly wicked they are, and therefore they are afraid that they cannot be saved, I sometimes reply to them, Yes, but you are much worse than you think you are. They look so astonished, for they hope to be comforted, and yet they are plunged further still into a deeper ditch. Ah, see, Spurgeon has taken a page, a page from Paul's playbook. Paul's playbook here in Ephesians 2, 1 through 3. Let's read this verse again that we might allow Paul to paint on our minds the depth of grace. You want to know grace? Know it right here in Ephesians 1 to 3 in the depth of grace. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you formerly walked. According to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them, we too all formerly lived in the lust of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. I hope in those three verses that you're able to see the picture. Are, are you able to see the picture? It's a picture of mankind. Paul says, you were. And he goes on to say, we were, making this picture a picture that captures the state of being, the nature of all mankind, himself included in each and every one of us. You can't escape this. This is a picture of you. We are not found in the heights of heaven dwelling in God, with God in this picture. Far from it. Heaven is not where grace finds us. Grace leaves heaven, dives deep out of heaven into the sinful depths of the earth to save each and every one of us. Paul's picture plunges us way down to the depths of man's sinfulness, painting with wide and dark and bleak strokes the bold sinfulness and shameful and disgusting behavior of all of us. The Marianas Trench is a trench in the ocean that sits between Guam and the Philippines, and the depth of that trench is 35,814 feet below sea level. The trench itself is 6,000 feet deeper than Mount Everest is tall. You could take Everest and shove it down into this trench. This is the depth of the depravity of man that Paul is describing here. The depth of our depravity is 35,000 feet deep. Turn in your Bibles to Romans 3. Oh, I want to paint this further. I want to allow Paul to paint this further onto your mind. Romans 3. Paul is describing what we call total depravity. Total depravity. 
Now, total depravity does not mean that everyone's a murderer, okay? That's not what it means. It does, however, mean that every aspect of your being is polluted and corrupted by sin, like, like a, tea, a tea bag going into hot water. It completely consumes everything. Did I just make that comparison? <laughs> it's like tea, in, a tea, it's like tea in, in water, in hot water. It's like smoke from a fire in a home. The smoke consumes the whole of the house. And how disgusting is the house to step into if it's completely consumed by the fire of the smoke? You were born this way, polluted and corrupted in sin. And you were born incapable of pleasing God. Not just you, all of humanity. Where did this come from? It's the fruit of Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3, Adam and Eve fall from grace, fall into sin, choose rebellion, choose wickedness and sinfulness, choose not to trust the word of God. Worse still, because your nature is rebellion to God, that's your nature, your nature is rebellion to God, the wrath of God is prepared to destroy you at this moment. Unless God sends grace, you will end up in hell punished forever. You can read with me from Romans verses, Romans chapter 3, verses 10 through 12, where Paul says this to us, further indicting humanity. He says, as it is written, there is none righteous, not even one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become useless. There is none who does good. There is not even one. Paul's picture is that of total depravity. Here and in Ephesians 2, 1 through 3. You can turn back there now. This picture of total depravity is comprehensive. It's comprehensive in that it includes all mankind. Moreover, it is a complete picture of total depravity because it says that we are all dead. And there's a completeness in the word dead. And moreover, it says that there's a consequence here. This is a consequential. Total depravity is consequential. All face God's wrath. It's comprehensive. Total depravity is complete. And it is consequential. But what does this picture say about God's grace? What does it say about God's grace? How low will grace go to rescue, redeem, and restore God's elect children? To the absolute bottom of the Marianas Trench. To the absolute bottom of the barrel of the depths of our sinfulness. From liberal, feminist, lesbian, Rosaria Butterfield to grossly prideful King of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar. From tax collector and cheat Matthew, who wrote a gospel, to Paul, the great Pharisee and murderer of Christians, who wrote many of our epistles. And have a look around this room, would you? God's grace has dove into the ugliest depths and depravity of our own lives. Because that's the very nature of God's grace. It dives that deep. It goes that far that he would save this group. He loves to show his strength over our sinful and helpless state. And though this picture is painted dark and disgusting with sin, I hope that as you look at Ephesians 2, 1 through 3, that it is a treasure and a comfort to you. There's a contrast being painted because the contrast says, this is the depth to which grace will go. 
Ephesians 2, 1 through 3 is there so that you know grace and you know how deep grace travels. And the question for you would be that do you rightly see your own sin? Do you marvel at the depths of God's grace and how far it will travel to save? Don't dare tell me he can't save me. He can't save my brother. He can't save my friend. He can't save my coworker. Don't tell me that. Don't tell me I'm so bad. I've gone too far. No, you haven't. The mind that says that is so wickedly proud. It trusts in its own thoughts over Paul's clear presentation that the depth of God's grace is perfect in its power to save anyone, any one of you. And next, Paul paints a portrait of the height of grace. From the depth of grace, we would plead, where can we turn? Where can we go to see something vibrant, something full of life? Can we see the height of grace? And that's exactly what Paul gives us next. He takes us to the height of grace seen in God's grace lavished on God's elect in salvation. Let's look at point number two in your notes, Paul's second portrait, the height of grace. Let's see the height of grace. Now, in the height of grace, are you ready? Here comes salvation. Are you ready for this? Man's view of salvation includes looking right into the person and work of God, and that's what's next. Paul's portrait, the height of grace, is a portrait of God himself. God with us slung up over his shoulder, carrying us out of the trench. His attributes and his nature and his works are being considered by Paul. What acts of God? What, what is God's favorite action that he performs on men? Salvation by grace alone. Consider the contrast that Paul is painting for us. Again, from the chapter 1 in the heights of heaven, thinking of the power of God to raise Christ from the dead. Chapter 2, we see verses 1 through 3, the depths of man's sin. And yet here, with these words, but God... Paul takes us from the depths of the Marianas Trench of our sin right back into the heights of heaven on the wings of God's grace. If Paul's writing could give you motion sickness and extreme turbulence, it would be right here. Way high, way low, and way back high again. Martin Lloyd-Jones says these two words, but God, in and of themselves, in a sense, contain the whole of the gospel. Let's read them together again and see the height of grace in God's salvation, verse 4, these two words, but God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ so that in the ages to come he might show the surpassing riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Boy, if this doesn't fill you, brothers and sisters, with a sense of awe and wonder at God, I don't know what will. This is salvation. The God of the universe is not only the creator and the sustainer of life, he is the only rescue available for wicked and dead humanity. He made us. He knows what's best for each and every one of us. He comes to us in our deadness while we are his enemies and makes us alive together with his Son, he places all of his love and grace on people who hate him and have never wanted him. Rosaria Butterfield said this about God's salvation coming to her. She said this, 
She said, I fought with everything I had. I did not want this. I did not ask for this. But Jesus triumphed. I was a broken mess. But the voice of God sang a love song in the rubble of my heart. I weakly believed that if Jesus could conquer death, he could make right my little world. This is the height of grace. And what a picture we have. Only God can make your world right. Where are you coming from today? Where are you joining us? What trials? What challenges? What pains are inflicted upon you? Do you know they have purpose? Do you know they have meaning? Do you know the one who can fix the worst condition you have? And if he can fix the worst, he can help in any. You need to know God's grace. Paul's picture of God's salvation, the height of grace, Paul makes so clear here why only God can make our world right. It's because of his character. It's because of his attributes. What attributes of God can you trust to make your life right? What can bring salvation? What can fix pain? What can fix hurts and losses that you've sustained? What attributes of God operate in perfection to save his enemies. I hope you can see clearly and quickly from the passage that even while we're dead, that's our nature, God's nature is rich in mercy, great in love, and glorious in grace. We are those who are set for wrath and hell. God is the one who extends mercy, love, and grace. And I just want to help us out real quick to delineate the difference between mercy and grace. What is the difference here between mercy and grace? Are they the same? It's really helpful for your mind to know they're not the same, they're different. So when you think of mercy, you need to understand mercy is withholding, withholding. You need to think of a gavel coming down to crush you for your sin. Mercy says no to the gavel. That's mercy. It's not the same as grace. Grace is lavishing, lavishly giving. Grace is lavishing you over. The the way that you pour syrup on your pancakes, lavishing. The way that some of you put cream in your coffee, you lavish it. Mercy holds back wrath that is due as just payment. Grace delivers riches and treasures that are entirely undeserved. Parents know grace. Which of you parents has adult children who are cruel to you? Do you withhold birthday and Christmas presents from your cruel adult child? I don't think that you do. My guess would be that you lavish your cruel adult child in grace. This is how God acts toward his sinful creatures, with grace and mercy and love. Paul captures the picture of God giving grace in verses 5 and 6. What did God do? Let's turn from his attributes to his actions. What actions did God perform on his sinful, cruel creatures? Verse 5 says, He made us alive together with Christ. And Paul is so excited about being made alive together with Christ that he interrupts his own thoughts to tell you what it means, saying to us, by grace you have been saved. And God was just getting started in lavishing grace because he also, in verse 6, raised us up with Christ and seated us with Christ in the heavenly places. The tense of these verbs tells us that these are fully completed actions in the past. That's important for you to know and to think on. These are fully completed actions of the past that have continuing effects, continuing results. You were made alive, raised, and seated with Christ. 
in a true and profound spiritual sense, if you are alive in Christ today, you have been raised and seated with him in the heavenly places already. That's powerful. And verse 7 says that God is not done serving up salvation on the undeserving. You realize that 2,000 years have passed since Paul penned these words, and God has been so faithful to deliver salvation to one generation after the next generation after the next generation for 2,000 years, like waves of salvation rolling up the shores of sinful humanity. Can you see the height of grace in Paul's picture? It's right here. The height of grace is in God's mercy, his love, and his grace, which cause him to act. And in grace, God places salvation on sinful mankind, and he loves to do this. He loves to do this. Salem, Oregon, not too far away from us, maybe six, seven hours, has a secret Santa named Benny. I don't want you to make this drive. Don't make the drive to Salem for this. Benny, secret Santa, Benny. I believe he struck again this year. But starting in 2012, Benny, he uh, hid, he's hid $51,000 worth of $100 bills in cereal boxes, baby strollers, and other everyday items in stores like Walmart. And certainly, this makes Benny happy to do this. He's benevolent, gracious, he's giving. But consider the contrast of Benny's $100 giveaway with God's salvation. The $100 have to be found. They have to be found, and they're found by random people. And the finders never personally know the giver. And the finders often take the gift that they've been given, and they look at it, and they give it away to somebody else. What great joy is there in God's salvation? Salvation is not found, brothers and sisters. Salvation of God is personally delivered. And the delivery comes with a relationship that lasts for all of eternity. There's no random nature to someone getting salvation. It's very intentional. It's not transferable. You wouldn't want to transfer it anyway. But it's the amazing thing about it. It's eternally shareable. It's eternally shareable, the gift that we have here in salvation. In delivery and personal eternal relationship, we can see the brilliance of God's grace. And just so you don't miss the brilliance of God's grace, Paul actually paints a third portrait of grace that highlights the brilliance of God's grace. Lastly, we see point three in your notes. Paul's third portrait, the brilliance of grace. I want to show you Paul's third portrait, the brilliance of grace. And you're going to see it in these last verses. I wonder how many of you kids got an iPod shuffle for Christmas. Maybe a few of you? An iPod shuffle? Did you see a crazy warning sticker on that iPod shuffle? It's got a crazy one. It, it says, do not eat iPod shuffle. <laughs> you know why it's there, right? I mean, we all know why it's there, right? Because it's actually happened, right? Someone thought it and did it. The curling iron that you got for your daughter, it warns, do not use this while bathing or showering. Thank you for that. If you fishermen out there were gifted some hooks by your wife, hint, hint, they have a warning as well. They say, harmful if swallowed. <laughs> Just saying, it's right there. Clearly, these manufacturers have great love for humanity. Clearly, they do. Because they not only supply you with an instruction manual telling you how to use your gift, they go one better than that, and they tell you how not to use your gift as well. And the brilliance of God's gift is that he factored in how dense we as human beings can be. God had Paul paint a portrait of grace that included a warning label. 
in addition to a user's manual. And so this, all this so that we would know how to use our brilliant gift of salvation that God has given. So let's, let's look then to the scriptures and let's try to see where is the warning label and where is the user's manual for this gift of salvation and, and how does God pack brilliance into a warning label and this user's manual, verses 8 through 10. In Paul's third portrait, the brilliance of God's grace, verses 8 through 10 of chapter 2 of Ephesians. Paul says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not a result of work so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we would walk in them. You know, whenever you run across repeated words in scripture, you know that you're onto something special. And what does Paul identically repeat here that he said in verse 5? Oh, those precious words. For by grace you have been saved. But he goes one better and he adds a word to that. We're going to talk about that. What follows from here is a portrait of the brilliance of God's grace. Where is God's brilliance in verses 8 through 10 in sharing his grace on humanity? Well, let me give you three instances of God's brilliance. I want to share with you three instances of God's brilliance. And they come in triples. So this is like a triple of triples, if you will. As if God were a point guard for Gonzaga University raining down three-pointers from the outside. What is the first of God's three brilliant triples? The first triple? The triple gift. The triple gift. God rescues, God's rescue of sinful humanity is a gift. That's what the text says. The gift includes grace, salvation, and faith. One, two, three. Grace, salvation, and faith. Some people get all fouled up in their understanding of this triple gift. It's easy to see God's grace and his salvation, but some believe that they supplied the faith. No, friend, you didn't supply the faith. Most definitely, you were saved by God's free will, not your own. Your free will was bound to do sin continually. God's free will gave you faith to believe in him, which demands that we all recognize the brilliance of this. God supplies faith to believe in him. He supplies that. The Apostle John says that at salvation that we are born again. And in chapter 1 of his gospel in verse 13, he says that we were born again, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but we were born again of God. God's next three-point brilliance is seen in point number two, triple rejection. Triple rejection. Where do you see three consecutive rejections? You see them in verse 8. Not, not, no. Pay attention. Not, not, no. Verse 8 is a corrective. Verse 8 is the massive warning label in the text. Don't use the product this way. It wasn't given for this purpose. Humanity is so dense, we actually get mixed up into believing that some aspect of God's brilliance in his gift involves our doing. Can you believe that? Obviously, Paul had encountered several Arminian-thinking brothers even in the first century. As a result, God causes Paul to paint a brilliant triple rejection into this portrait. Man's view of salvation comes with a warning label. Salvation is not through you. It is not a result of your works. There's no way that there's going to be an occasion for you to boast in anything with regard to this salvation, with regard to this grace. And God's final three-point brilliance is seen in this triple craftsmanship. Triple craftsmanship. 
The word workmanship in your text in verse 10 is a special word. It pictures an extremely skilled master craftsman working on his masterpiece and the greatest of the greats of his masterpieces. God's elect, his redeemed, those whom he saved, those whom he's prepared from way before an eternity past for adoption as sons, us, we are his masterpiece. And now look at our triple construction and see here our user's manual as well. We are in Christ. That's what the user's manual says. We are in Christ, number one. Second, for the purpose of good works. Third, that we need to be walking in them. Triple craftsmanship. You're in Christ. You were purposed for good works. You're going to walk in them. Never would God's masterpiece be outside of Christ. Being God's craftsmanship means that we have to be perfectly united and bound up in Christ. And our purpose is good works. Turn with me quickly to Ephesians 4, Ephesians 4, verse 28. Why good works? Why do the good works? Because God gets glory when former unrighteous enemies do righteous deeds. You know, with your New Year's resolutions, you are looking for great joy in change. And you should, but on an eternal scale, if you will, on an eternal God has great joy in the change that his salvation makes in our lives. This is effectively a, a version of spiritual biggest loser, if you've ever watched the program from years past. Only here, every pound shed, every righteous deed done is not for your glory, like the program. It's for God's glory. So read Ephesians 4, verse 28 with me, and look at what happens here I love this little picture right here about God's grace, how it transforms people to do righteousness. The text says, He who steals must steal no longer, but rather he must labor, performing with his own hands what is good so that he will have something to share with the one who has need. Do you see a transformation there? From thief to provider. Provider not just for self, but for family. Not just for family, but for anyone who is in need. That's transformation. That's radical transformation. It's the kind of transformation that only happens in the grace of God. It only happens even after salvation. We are thieves of God's glory. But once saved, we see that our lives have only one purpose, to bring glory to God. This is the final piece of God's brilliance of his craftsmanship. Just as he predetermined to save us, so too God predetermined good works that we would do to bring him glory. And our greatest joy then becomes walking in those good works that he prepared. Walking here in the text in chapter 2, you can turn back there. Walking is a figurative way of saying living our lives. Our best life now is walking in the good works of righteousness that God pre-planned for you to walk in. There's great joy in that. We have many young children here. Parents, I would ask you the question, did you plan moment by moment good works for your children to walk in once they were born that would bless them and bring glory to God and create a relationship with you? No, you didn't. You weren't that intentional. And yet we see the brilliance of God is this, in his planning moment by moment of good works for his crea creation to do, those who he's going to save, those who are his elect. His craftsmanship includes the gift of faith, 
His craftsmanship includes the warning label, and his craftsmanship includes an instruction manual which tells us about good works, all designed for our good, and ultimately, most importantly, for his glory. What a brilliant portrait. God's grace is painted by Paul. We've been considering to this morning man's view of salvation in Ephesians 2, 1 through 10. And I told you, it's all grace, all the time. Man's view of salvation, all grace, all the time. And we've seen grace in the portraits that Paul has painted, including the depths of grace, the height of grace, and the brilliance of grace. And my genuine hope in flying over God's salvation by grace alone is that you allow the complete portrait of God's grace to color all of your life, let alone your 2021 resolutions. My prayer would be that you consider the wickedness and sinfulness that lives inside of you, that you would evaluate your pursuits in 2021. Why go to the gym and get flat abs when round abs work just They'll get you glory from men, but will they give glory to God? Is God's glory found in your six-pack? Beloved, evaluate your pursuits in light of your sinfulness that so easily can entangle you into things that God doesn't desire. Further, my prayer is that God's salvation would cause you to fix your eyes on the gospel. Is this a marvel and a treasure to you that God's offer of salvation, spiritual resurrection now is for everyone and anyone. Did you resolve already to share this glorious message of grace with your family, friends, and co-workers in 2021? How often and with whom did you name them? Lastly, my prayer is for you to heed the warning labels and fully embrace the fact that God alone saved you. You came to the table with nothing. Salvation is 100% God, 0% you. He had to drag you up from the bottom of the Marianas Trench of your sin, wash you and cleanse you and breathe new life into you. Please come to know salvation is a free gift of God, entirely undeserved, entirely unmerited, that was lavished upon you in God's grace. Because when you know this fully, your response is what matters. Your response when you know this is 100% love, which begets 100% obedience. You know, I often find that when I'm counseling folks, they will come in with a failure to understand the grace of God, the gift that he's placed in salvation. They don't understand the truths that we just studied in Ephesians 2, 1 through 10, that grace is all of God. They believe that they chose God. And you know what I understand about people who choose God? They also choose their level of obedience to him. You need to understand 100% love of God demands 100% obedience. Know that it's all him and see how this changes your life. You will do the good work prepared and in them God will be glorified. You will find joy and peace and all the brothers and sisters here in this church will be blessed by your love and your care, your fellowship, your service, your hospitality and your growth in godliness. I just see in my mind's eye the splendor and the wonder and the glory of a church of God's people who know his grace and salvation and respond in obedience to him. Let's all take Paul's portrait of God's grace and allow them to recolor our New Year's resolutions all to the praise and glory of God's grace. Father in heaven, the salvation that you've placed on us is immaculate. It's incredible. 
It's unworthy of us. It's undeserving, but it is glorious, and it is awe-inspiring, and we've been struck down by it this morning. Your grace is so fantastic. Oh, how we've always needed this, and oh, how it changed our lives. Let us rejoice in this. Let it change us permanently, Father in heaven. As a result of your grace and us seeing it rightly, painted on these portraits by Paul, let us find in 2021 the obedience that you deserve. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.